Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my buddy Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus to just kind of take a look at what's going on in the NFL right now. I know a lot of the shows recently have been very crypto heavy, so thought uh, I would bring on one of the, the best NFL minds that I interact with on Twitter. We chatted a little bit about the Chiefs' decision-making, how the salary cap has impacted the NFL team decision-making this offseason, what we expect from the upcoming NFL draft, and just kind of made our way around some of the hot stove topics in the NFL right now. If you like this show, you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast, or if you want to support, you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone, welcoming back into the show, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. I think we did this once last offseason. I think we did it post-draft, um, and uh, we haven't done we haven't done a football show on uh on on the take cast for a while i was evan silva was making fun of me this last week he was like dude you just keep doing all these shows about bitcoin it's like i don't care i don't want to listen so i figured we would uh we'd get back to the roots and chat some pigskin man so how's it going things are going good man there's a a lot of uh you know there's just a lot of changes and uh, i think um you know i i actually don't really envy like the sports books that have to put out some of these numbers this this offseason because uh, I you know as, as trying to do these simulations myself it's sort of like there's a lot of assumptions that go into uh, what's going to happen in the fall. No, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I I didn't know if we would start here, but I I, I do think one of the most interesting things in the futures market right now is that the markets are not really treating the Chiefs like they're kind of heading into this rebuilding window. They 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 fell a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll pull it up right now. But I know that Buffalo did move ahead in, in the AFC of Kansas City, but not by as much as you would expect, I don't think. Um, and the Chiefs' win total is still 11 in a 17-game season, pretty high, considering how difficult I think that division is going to play this year. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm always like way overly bullish on the Chiefs, right? That's just like kind of my thing. And I don't know if they feel overly bullish on themselves. Like that that's kind of where I'm at is that they, I think internally are viewing this as a year to get the cap situation under control and to bring in some young guys because they can kind of, I mean, Tyreek's gone. They can see the end of Kelsey coming and they, they kind of have to rebuild on the fly. 
Yeah, it's a it's it's a great thought thought experiment. I mean, even before the Tyreek Hill trade, uh, the Chiefs were second favorites to win the Super Bowl. Uh, they opened sort of dead on with Buffalo, but at, at even even before the Hill trade, as things started to evolve, I think Buffalo maybe it was because of the Von Miller signing. Uh, Buffalo had pulled ahead a little bit, and then now you know you sort of have the two teams that traded their star wide receiver now, roughly about ten to one in third, you know, place essentially. Uh, behind Tampa Bay uh, and behind Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. And it is, it's just bullish. And I, and I think this is, you know, Chiefs football and, and both of us are fans. And, you know, I, I, I sat motionless for the second half of that Bengals game. Oh, uh, at I, I can't, in, I can't even, man. Oh, man. I, January like, and, that um, game. I, I, the only thing that kept me alive was seeing two older Bengals fans hugging each other and crying at Arrowhead, it was like there was a human moment that sort of sat me back into place. But um, the thing I think about, the thing about the Chiefs is I think everything they've done, I haven't agreed with everything. I, I didn't agree with the Frank Clark trade. I didn't agree with the Clyde Edwards-Alaire draft pick. Uh, I didn't agree with the Orlando Brown trade. Um, you know, but I'm more of a long view person. And, and sort of looking back at it, you know, you, you win the Super Bowl in 2019, in 2020, you look at the landscape of the league, and we didn't know that Josh Allen was a god yet. Uh, Tom Brady just left the conference. We didn't know that Justin Herbert was who he was. We didn't know who that Joe Burrow was who he was. So the Chiefs kind of going all in in 2020, there were a lot of spoils that were going to be associated with being the number one team in the AFC. And they were the one, number one team in the AFC. They got the one seed. They made the Super Bowl. And obviously, I, I don't know if Tampa beats them if they're healthy, but Tampa certainly was a formidable foe in that game. Um, now, I just, I think they look at the AFC and said, look, like there's not a ton of value. There's not a ton of marginal value in going all in to be the best team in this conference, even if you could achieve that anyway. And so, you know, 22 players under contract in 2023. Um, I, I think they saw the long view and said, look, we're probably, they're minus 220, I think, to make the playoffs. We're probably going to make the playoffs anyway. And what team is more equipped to win a Super Bowl out of, like, let's say a four or five seed than the team with the best quarterback in the league? And so I think this is a year where they're still going to be in that sort of basin of teams that's contending, but I, they're certainly not going all in to try to be the best team in the AFC again. Which I think uh, is, is smart. Because specifically now they are not aligned on the timeline with the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Chargers because Kansas City is now going to have way more cap room right as the Chargers are having to give Justin Herbert his mega extension. That's that's huge for them. I don't really think that can be overstated because you you it would be I think it would be frustrating for both teams to have their cap situations aligned that way where. Herbert is or Herbert is making his mega deal and they're competing against the Chiefs. And now I think it'll it'll kind of go in cycles with them. And then Denver, the next what Russell Wilson's 33. So probably the next two seasons, Denver is just gonna have to spend whatever it it takes. And you know, probably I would not be surprised to see Denver trading a first round draft pick this season or next season at some point, you know, to basically to do what the chiefs did. Right. So offensive line was a huge problem against Tampa Bay. So let's spend the first round pick. Right. And, and we don't need to talk about the Clyde Edwards Hilaire thing that mm-hmm. that's been, that's been done to death. But I, and then I guess, I mean, I, I guess we should talk about the Las Vegas Raiders who also expended a first round pick uh, somewhat, somewhat fool. I mean, 
it's hard to criticize it because they got maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL, and that's probably a good use. But I, I don't really know effectively what that does for you in that division, really. So just that just seems weird. Yeah, I mean, there's like six to one or something. It, it got it took them from ten to one to six to one, which I think a lot of novice betters believe that's a big move. It's not really that big of a move, um, uh, interestingly. Uh, and yeah, I mean, th- that's the point, right? Like the Chiefs, you know, since they paid them the Patrick Mahomes deal, like you're playing two games in the NFL or three games, I guess you're either playing the game. The chiefs are playing where you have an elite quarterback and you're trying to, to you're, you're trying to do things to support him, but ultimately the, the support comes from Patrick Mahomes. Right. And, and I think the Patriots figured that out for years. I mean, they, they traded Dion branch uh, the, the year after he won Super Bowl MVP for them. Um, you know, they traded Richard Seymour to the Raiders, like right before opening day in 2009, like they, everybody goes except for, for Brady there. And I think that that's where the, the chiefs are with Mahomes. Um, you're all the, the other game that teams can play is you have a great quarterback on a rookie deal. Like that just gives you such a, a huge advantage. And, you know, we know this because the chiefs won a Super Bowl when Pat was on his rookie deal and, and you can make mistakes. You can pay $16 million a year to Sammy Watkins. You can trade a first and a second and a hundred million dollars for Frank Clark. You can, uh, you know, make, you can pay Anthony Hitchens 9 million a year to be a bad linebacker. And, 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 you know, I think that, um, you know, the chiefs are sort of buying time until the teams like the Bengals and the chargers have to play the same game that they do. Uh, because I think that they believe that if, if Burrow on $50 million a year is going to give you less of an advantage than Patrick Mahomes on $50 million a year. And I think that's pretty plain to see. I, um, and I think that that is such a good point. I haven't heard anyone make that point yet, but like, you know, the money between Burrow and Herbert and Mahomes is all going to be similar, but the chiefs are extracting the maximum value from that because he's the best. And I, people are uh, bristle at that statement a little bit. Cause the last time they saw him, it was the worst football he's ever played probably since high school. Yeah. Um, but that, that is a, a, an extremely cogent point that I have not heard anyone make, which is that Herbert Mahomes burrow all in the same deal. You're taking Mahomes, hundred percent. Yeah. And, th- and I think that that's like, that clouds everything. And I, you know, you, you've seen it as much as anybody, the debates about, you know, Kirk cousins and Matt Ryan and, you know, Ryan Tannehill and, Derek Carr and like the 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 point about those guys it, it's sort of it, it's it's sort of it, I feel like it's like poker or something where like it doesn't even matter the cards it just matters like in some ways like how how well stacked you are in some cases right like to me like I don't really care how good Kirk Cousins is because when he makes 40 you know 35 million a year like you just can't win right when I don't really care how how good Derek Carr is from year to year because when he makes what he makes you just can't win and you know I think um you know that that's the whole thing like when people want to compare you know Josh Allen to Justin Herbert like I I don't really think it's a fair comparison because you know the Josh Allen is in the point of his career where he's paid enough to where he has to overcome things right and he has to take Gabriel Davis and throw four touchdowns to a fourth round pick from two years ago because that's you know whereas you know, Herbert gets Mike Williams at 20 a year. He gets Keenan Allen at 20 a year. And, you know, they get him Jared Cook and, and uh, you know, uh, Cordy Lindsley to play center for him and, and, and that kind of thing. And again, that, that's what you should do. Like when you have a, a brilliant quarterback on a rookie deal, you should act like the Yankees. But at, you know, but I think the Chiefs see that and are like, look, again, like I, I just think that they're so 
much less marginal value in going out of your way to being the AFC's best team. Um, I, I think that there's actually more, like not more value, but there, there's, there's more of a likelihood that the team in the AFC that's the seventh, sixth, or fifth seed is going to be a house this year. And, and so the Chiefs look at that and say, well, you know, we could probably be the, the sixth or seventh seed even if we, even if we take a step back. And, and in the playoffs, like as the Rams showed, like anything can really happen. Right. So where, where do you stand on, uh, on Veach, the, the GM in terms of, of the personnel decisions? Cause like, you know, I'm able to, to take a little bit more of a wide view and be like, well, you know, the draft is kind of random and, you know, people look at the, the Hardman, Hardman over Metcalf is the one that really triggers people, which I, I think kind of understandably, but, you know, pretty easy to remember. There were lots of questions about DK Metcalf as a prospect. Like he only ran one route. He went, he had that crazy bad, um, what was it? The short shuttle or the three cone time. It's like the guy couldn't move laterally or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that was when Tyreek was maybe going to be suspended and they needed a fast guy, you know, and then obviously the Clyde Edwards Hilaire thing, like the, the, I think some of the local, you know, the, the, the non uh, PFF subscribing fans, you know, just are like, you know, Veach, he sucks, like whatever, like why is Daniel Sorensen our starting safety, all that stuff. So what, where are, where are you at on, on Brett Veach, the GM? I actually think Brett Veach took a, a really big step forward in 2021. Um, and, and this is through some information I know internally, um, just, you know, having, having conversations with people on the team and things like that. But, you know, prior to this year, I, he was aggressive. And, and I, you know, I just talked about when you have a great quarterback on a rookie deal, you should act like the Yankees. And he certainly acted that way. Uh, Brett Beach has still never traded down in the draft. He's only traded up um, his first tra- his first pick because he, he was certainly a part of the Mahomes thing, but and here's the thing, like, we've never known him as somebody who didn't have Mahomes, right? So he was part of the Mahomes thing in 17. In 18, they traded up for Breland Speaks for their first pick. And, and even in 2020, it, it, I don't know if people remember this, but they were out of draft picks in 2020 and traded a 2021 sixth so they could go back into the seventh round of the 2020 draft and take some cornerback named Bo P. Keys, who did not make the team in 2021, right? So there are, and there are, I know specifically there are learning experiences for him from those, from those failures. Um, last year, there was a, a real rift on the team between, you know, the, the evaluators and the coaches, right? Like the Sorensen thing was not a beach thing. It was a uh, Spagnolo thing. Right. And so there had, and, and the Nick Bolton thing and the Willie Gay thing. And like the, the guys that, that beach drafted many of whom have become good players, we're just not seeing the field because of the sort of rigid uh, standards that, that folks like Spagnuolo had, which was, you know, Hey, I, I need a guy who can get somebody lined up, uh, you know, and, and that's Ben Neiman, but Ben Neiman can't move <laughs> side to side, uh, you know, at, at all. So, um, so I, and, and he won out last year, right. As the season progressed, you saw more uh, of Willie Gay. You saw more of uh, Nick Bolton. You saw Juan Thornhill eventually start over, Daniel Sorensen and so on and so forth. And, and I think as you see this off season, this is, I mean, the move to trade Tyree kill in addition to the move to let Tyron Matthew go, Tyron Matthew's probably the best free agent signing in the history of the franchise and voted team MVP for what it's yeah. worth two years out of three to let him go 
and, and, and to make the moves that they made this offseason. I'm, I'm very impressed with the evolution. Now, he could take pick 29 and 30 and trade up to pick nine and like draft, you know, draft Jermaine Johnson. And then I just throw my papers in the air. But, um, but I, I think like, I think he's evolved and, and started making decisions that I would, I would make, <laughs> you know, frankly. Um, and early on, he was more aggressive, but again, aggressive with the, the knowledge that you have Patrick Mahomes and, if you hit on some of those aggressive picks, uh, the spoils are pretty good. I would, I would accept them packaging up those two picks to take whoever they think the best wide receiver is, whether it be, whether it be Burks, whether it be Wilson, uh, Drake London does not seem like a stylistic fit for this team. Uh, so I would be, I would be pretty perturbed if they did that, but if they package those two picks to get to 14 or 13 or whatever, to take Traylon Burks or Garrett Wilson, or, you know, whoever the dream scenario is that Jameson Williams is still there for them at 29. Though I, I, that's, I think much less likely now that Dallas needs a wide receiver at 24 green Bay needs like six wide receivers and they pick twice in front of the chiefs. Um, but I mean, they, they got to take a cost-controlled wide receiver in, in the first round. I mean, I think it would be really, really bad if they didn't. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I, I really do, you know, uh, we had a paper at PFF uh, that won, well, got in the finals, but won the football division of the MIT Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, and one of the metrics I derived was sort of a, a metric on how effective a wide receiver is at running deep patterns, both when he's, when he's targeted and when he's not. Yeah. And that was basically the genesis, because like if you if you stack those guys up, it was everybody. So tracking data has been available since 2017. It's so you you have the, the usual suspects, Tyree Kill, uh, Antonio Brown, um, even like, I, you know, Ted Ginn flashed in there, which I think a lot of fantasy people would, would scoff at. But like, I think, you know, people who study space, sort of the space game, creator, yeah, space creator kind of guy. Marquez Valdez Scantling was in that list. And especially in the 2020 season, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling was very good. And, and I was pounding the table um, for them to sign him when Tyreek was still on the team because I thought Tyreek Hill, because of the way defenses were playing him, like was no longer their deep threat because like teams were going out of their way to stop him and you know his average set the target went down and all that kind of stuff. Um, now him paired with Juju Smith-Schuster – I think can be very effective, especially if they, they face facts about who McCall Hardman, Hardman is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, and, and, and it's crazy. Like I had to, I had a message with somebody on the team. I said, no, McCall Hardman is not a deep threat. Like he doesn't track the ball. Well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make plays on the field. He is a rich man's D'Anthony Thomas or, or a poor man's rookie Tyree kill. That's, that's basically what he is. And if you accept that, then there is a a hole in that offense for a sort of complete receiver. They, right? Well, and they they need someone who can do they need someone who can do the Hardman stuff though because uh, well, I also think Hardman yeah. could do uh, a, what Watkins did in 2019, not not so much in 2020, where he just he's kind of like the gadget guy. He runs a lot of slants. Like I I you know I think they're. Hardman is with the ball in his hands. He's still good. Right. Like, like that is like, that is the skill set that he brings in that offense. Yep. I mean, they need someone like that. Yeah. But the problem was, is over the last two seasons, they wanted him to be, they wanted him to sort of replace Sammy Watkins. And I think, you know, I, I remember being at Arrowhead for the title game against the Titans. And that was like, 
you know, and I was somebody, you know, Sammy was a little bit of an overpay, but like when he got the Titans deep, I'm like, this is why Sammy Watkins is on the team, right? Like Sammy yeah. Watkins had gravity that, you know, gravity to take safeties away, even when Tyreek was an underneath player and the ability to kill you when a team did not take him seriously. And I, to me, that's who Marquez Valdez Scanling is for this team. Now, I think the problem now is again, like Juju, all of the Chiefs free agent signings, Rojo, uh, Justin Reed, Juju, MBS, are all players who were, had down 2021 years, right? They're buying the dip on all those players, right? It, you know, even Rojo was like a really good back in 2020 with, you know, as a runner and, and regressed last year. Um, it, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling was terrific in 2020, I thought, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Juju, I mean, you have to go back to basically 2018, before, the last time he was like an all-around receiver. I think if they go into this draft, to get back to the original question, if they all go into the, if they go into this draft thinking that McCole Hardman, Juju Smith Schuster, and Marquez Valdez Scanling is a complete is a complete form, trio, right? Uh, I think that that's a mistake. Um, does that mean that they have to take the uh, they have to take a guy in round one? I don't think so because I think that there are some guys like Jahan Dotson or Christian Watkins or um, you know folks like that. Uh, you know Romeo Dubes from uh, Nevada. Uh, Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, all of those guys, I think would make good chiefs, but, but I, I do agree that like, if, if the best, if, if one of those guys trickles to them at 29, they have to take them, but they have, they have significant needs at edge. They have significant needs at cornerback too, where I, I think that they're in a, with 12 draft picks, especially like eight in the first four rounds, they're in a really nice spot where, they obviously have needs, but not they have enough picks where every single pick doesn't require them to take the neediest the, the need. at one time. Yeah, um, but I mean, I I think you you made the the correct point, which is that MVS Hardman and Smith Schuster is like sixty seven percent of the way to a grouping of guys that you want, but you you need. I mean, you need the Tyree Kill, you need the Devontae Adams, you need the Cooper Cup, like you need the guy who can play any of the positions, who transcends coverage, who the, is going to, is going to bend the defense. And I mean, I, I think, I think Jamison Williams can be that guy. I really think Traylon Burks can be that guy. Um, so I'm fat. I mean, also let's, let's talk a little bit about the Packers here because they're basically, I, I think one of the things that I have learned the most, uh, I mean, the last couple of years, and then also, you know, just playing fantasy football so much is, you know, wide receiver skill really impacts quarterback performance so much. Like look at Brady's last year with the Patriots versus his first year with the Buccaneers or like, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson on off splits. And I mean, there, there's so much stuff and it's, it's like the, the Packers are just telling us not, nah, it's like Rogers will be able to figure it out with Alan Lazard. And I, I, I guess Amari Rogers and Randall, Cobb, I don't even know what, what their plan is right now. And it, it, it feels like, every team in the NFL needs like a third wide receiver. Like it feels like, it feels like all these great teams are like, no, we need another guy who can be good. Um, I was talking with Pat Crane yesterday. Like what, what team doesn't need a, another wide receiver right now? The, the one we could come up with was the Bengals. The Bengals are fine with, uh, with their three guys pretty much, but every team needs more pass catching talent. And I don't, I don't really understand this Packers plan at all. Yeah, and I, there was an article we wrote on PFF, like it was right after the Chiefs Super Bowl uh, last year. And I, I sort of thought one of the big differences, you know, when 
it's interesting because like in basketball, they've been thinking about this for a long time. So like Seth part now works at Sats bomb now, previously the athletic and the Milwaukee Bucks sort of like talks about how, you know, he often doesn't even evaluate players in the, in the NBA, unless they're playing playoff teams. Um, and, and one thing that we found, which was extremely stark was during the regular season, your offensive EPA in the passing game is most strongly correlated with your second best wide receiver going into that game. Um, and then, and then actually second place is your third uh, wide receiver. Once you get into the playoffs, the EPA uh, your offense produces is it's not, it's hardly correlated at all with the strength of your number one receiver. And, and, and I, and I think you can see that, right? Like these teams that are playing in the playoffs from a defensive standpoint are, are healthy, right? That's you know, yeah, defense, that's big yeah. defensive backfields, a weak link system. So you're healthy there. There aren't weak links. There aren't players that you can just exploit, you know, uh, frequently. Um, and, and so they could take away your number one target. And to me, like, that's the most uh, descriptive thing about the Packers is they're sort of that team that they can win 13 games because the average NFL team can't cover Adams enough to win, but a playoff team can. And, and so your second and third guys, and, you know, we see it with Kansas City, the, the Super Bowl against the Niners Watkins was six for 90. And then in the Super Bowl against the bill or against the uh, uh, Bucks, there was nowhere to be found was a, a third, a third option in that passing game. So, um, you know, Tampa Bay in 2020, they had wide receiver for days. And, and I think even though the Rams won the Super Bowl in 2021, once Odell got hurt, that offense went to a, 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 a standstill basically in that game yep. until the very last drive. So, I'm, I'm curious about this. I, I, I think that the Packers are making a horrific gamble, um, not necessarily in trading Adams because look like this, the team was needed cap space, but Rogers is going to be their quarterback for a few years and it's going to strain everything that they can do. And yet they have almost no depth at what I would consider either the second or third most important position in all of football. Yeah, no, I mean, that I, I agree with you. I think for, for scoring points and, and um, you know, another, another I, can't, I wish I remembered who tweeted this, but um, the average depth of target has gone down league-wide every year for the last five years. Because, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, teams are learning is just like the value of longer possessions, the value of replacing runs with quick throws and things like that. And, you know, part of that value proposition is having guys who can do things with the ball after receiving those shorter catches, right? I mean, that's Cooper Cup had this amazing season with like all of this yak, Justin Jefferson, great with yak, Tyreek Hill, maybe the best yak guy, Jamar Chase. I mean, it's like Jamar Chase is just like bouncing off of guys and juking guys out of their cleats 40 yards down the field. And you, you need to rely on a little bit of that secondary production after the guy catches the ball, like doing the Zachers catch the ball and fall down thing, you know, it just, it's not nearly as good. And I think you see that with some of these smaller, faster guys being pushed up way more than they would have been five years ago, Garrett Wilson, Alave, you know, Rondell Moore last year. I know he didn't really get used how we thought that he would. Um, and, and it feels like green Bay is just completely ignoring that. They're like, we're just going to trust Rogers to get the ball into the right window to Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon and, just really does not feel like a winning proposition at all. Yeah. And I guess like, again, to take this back to the chiefs, I like, I sort of like 
the approach of moving on from Hill and sort of flattening out the risk, right? Like to me, the defenses were concentrating so much on Tyree Hill that, you know, you looked at like some of the graphs. I know uh, my, my, uh, my colleague La, uh, Lao Shui Yu uh, posted like sort of the box counts that she's facing and how big of an outlier they were. And at some point you sort of have to, you know, in network analysis, for example, like, you know, or the financial crisis crises and things like that, you look at and say the systems that are the most brittle are the ones that depend that, that don't have that many weak ties. Right. And so, you know, I think an offense that depends so much on one or two players is extremely brittle. Um, and, and I think that obviously like trading your number one target there and sort of investing in spreading out the risk is, is can, can be smart trading your number one target. And then like not having like, having a bunch of desolate homes uh, afterwards just doesn't feel smart to me. Um, and, and I guess that that was just the predicament they were in from a, from a, a resource standpoint. Right. Um, and, and, you know, having to appease Rogers uh, to the degree that they had to, I think is, is really the issue. And, and people will talk about cap, you know, the salary cap and, and everything. Like I, I want, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to get people to understand is like the 2023 and 24 and 25 cap hits affect what you can do, right? If you can only offer players one-year deals, like they're going to take other deals, uh, you know, and, and if your cap is is that messed up later on, it does affect what you can do. So I know Rogers cap hit this year isn't terrible, but the, in subsequent years, it's, it's humongous. And, and that's keeping them from being able to attract some of the players um, in longer term deals that they often have to make to break ties between uh, them and other teams. And it's, it's been a very interesting off season for, the salary cap is not real people because clearly it is right. I mean, we have seen this. I mean, this is, this has to be the most quarterbacks that have ever moved teams ever uh, over the course of an off season. And so many guys have had to restructure their deals. You know, people always bring up the saints. They're like, Oh, the saints are in salary cap hell. And then they create all this space, but they don't really create all this space because their roster is way worse. Like the saints roster is just not nearly as good because they're in all these cap situations. The Dallas Cowboys have to trade Amari Cooper for peanuts because the Zeke contract is so bad and they can't afford both of those players. So like the, the idea I, 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 and I kind of used to be one of those people that the salary cap was fake. Um, but I just, I just clearly think that that evidence is not, I just don't think there's any evidence to support that position anymore. Yeah, I think the salary cap can be manipulated for any one move that you want to make. I mean, I yes, think the only example that's a good we've, point. Ever, we've ever seen is is Jadavion Clowney trying to go to the Saints. Like they literally couldn't create in a create space. Um, every restructure, I, I think the biggest misnomer is that restructures are are you know the the player doing the team a solid when in reality the player is actually benefiting substantially from it because. You know, for example, if you're the Vikings and you're Adam Thielen and you push, you know, uh, you make his deal five years, three years, 51 million, basically guaranteed uh, after this year to save five million in cap space. Well, Adam Thielen knows he's probably going to be a Viking in his year 34 and year 35 season, which is a fair amount of stability. Like uh, Jason Fitzgerald of over the cap, I think, says it the best. He said, look, before you think of doing a restructure, you better be you better be content with the fact that this guy might be on your team and he might suck, right? And and Chiefs fans see it with Frank Clark. Like Frank Clark actually took a pay cut and but he's still on this team because of the moves that they had to make with restructures and things like that. And and one of the reasons they traded Tyreek Hill is that they don't want to have to do the restructure A with Mahomes, because that I think saves them 27. They're they're gonna pay the 27 million this year and not push push it into future years. 
but also Chris Jones, if they were to sort of do the restructure on Chris Jones, his salary cap hit next year is $36 million, which I, I love Chris Jones to death, but like it's not worth $36 million. So, um, you know, it, it's been a very interesting offseason because I think you, you've seen two things. You've seen how real the cap is, especially for teams that have a quarterback on a veteran deal. Yep. But also you've seen how valuable it is to have a quarterback on a rookie deal. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be a brilliant guy. It can be a Mac Jones. But, it could, but if a guy's brilliant, you just have such an edge over, over everybody else in the league. Yeah, the I mean, the Chargers, look at all these crazy moves the Chargers made this offseason. None of these moves would be possible if, if Justin Herbert's cap hit was Mahomes' cap hit. They would not have been adding all of these guys. They wouldn't have been able to pay Mike Williams that huge contract. Like, they are, they are 100% reaping the benefits of the salary cap being real and of their quarterback being on a rookie deal. Like, that, like it, you know, people, they, they, talk about, they talk about the rookie deal quarterback stuff, and they, I don't think – most people realize how big of a competitive advantage that is. Like the, the chargers would not have been able to tool up this off season the same way at all. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, and I think that that's, that's the, when people want to look and say, okay, well, you know, uh, Malik Willis isn't a first round talent. Uh, Kenny Pickett's not a first round talent. Uh, you know, and again, like I interact a lot with Raiders, Vikings, you know, Twitter and everything. It's like, oh, you, oh, you're just you're just suggesting to draft the Mahomes. Oh, that's really easy. It's like, no, actually, Jared Goff took a team to the Super Bowl on a rookie deal, right? Like Carson Wentz. I know Nick Foles won the game, but like Carson Wentz took his team to a Super Bowl on a rookie deal. Uh, you know, uh, the funniest one is is Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota in year two both went nine and seven. Like. You know, it, it's not that hard to have, like, you actually have to be quite a huge donkey not to have success on a quarterback's rookie deal, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. So uh, the, let's let's talk a little bit about this this musical chairs offseason of, uh, of quarterbacks. These are these are teams. These are the teams with with new quarterbacks. Uh, so we have the Colts with a new quarterback. We have the Cleveland Browns with a new quarterback. The Denver Broncos have a new quarterback. The Commanders have a new quarterback. The Saints sort of have a new quarterback because Jameis Winston only played uh, five games for them last season. The Falcons have a new quarterback. We'll see what the, the Carolina Panthers end up doing. The, uh, the NFC North, everyone everyone is, is staying static there to this point. We'll see if the Lions take a quarterback and uh, the 49ers and the Seahawks all have um, a new quarterback. I mean, if there, if there was ever a, a draft that was ripe, for lots of quarterbacks going in the first round and then having, you know, guys sit for a year. Some of these teams are perfectly positioned to have Malik Willis sit for a year, Kenny Pickett sit for a year, Sam Howell sit for a year. So I, I just think that's a, a fascinating dynamic because this quarterback class doesn't have a Trevor Lawrence, a Baker Mayfield, you know, just these guys who are like, oh yeah, slam dunk, number one overall. Like, like every, everyone I have not seen a consensus on any of them. There no consensus has been arrived at by the hive mind on these incoming quarterbacks. Yes. And that's, yeah, I think, I think ultimately like, you know, with, with the Rams winning the Super Bowl, with the Bucks winning the Super Bowl, there are a lot more teams that are sort of all in. Um, and, you know, and, and there's also, I think a little bit, you know, this happened with the Falcons last year, you know, when you have a quarterback, on a on a deal that's hard to get out of um some of that edge that comes from the quarterback on a rookie deal evaporates right so if you're paying matt ryan you know 40 million in dead money and you have justin fields on your roster like 
you know, there, there's a little bit of a lack, you know, the, the cost benefit analysis there isn't quite as good. Now, you know, don't extend Matt Ryan in the first place and maybe give yourself the freedom to draft fields. Um, so, so there are a lot of teams that are sort of out or are going to have to swallow one year uh, of a quarterback's rookie deal without getting much in value. Now that worked for Kansas City with Alex Smith. Alex Smith had his best year, uh, you know, right before getting traded to Washington. So that helped. But like you think of a team like Pittsburgh, you know, Mitch Trubisky isn't keeping you from drafting a quarterback high. You look at Seattle, obviously Drew Locke isn't. Yeah, Carolina is in a position there. Um, Detroit might not be with, with Jared Goff. You know, Goff is probably one more year on that team and then done. Um, and, and to me, it's just like, what style do you want? I think I think Malik Willis probably has, you know, I, I think Malik Willis, yeah, he's a little smaller than Dante Culpepper, but I think yeah. Dante Culpepper sort of like, you know, high floor, high high ceiling, low floor uh, type of potential. I think yeah. Pickett is more of a sort of middle of the pack kind of Teddy Bridgewater-like player. Um, which again, Bridgewater won a division on his rookie deal before his blue eyes knee. Uh, it, it sort of depends upon what you need. And uh, like a team like Carolina probably doesn't need a, probably can't have a moonshot at quarterback because people are going to get fired there relatively soon. Maybe a team like Pittsburgh, you know, where you have a ton of stability. Like I think Pittsburgh is probably going to move up for Willis if Willis gets by the, the Lions at pick two. But the Lions might like Willis, you know, in the sense that, you know, they're building a roster for the long haul, and that division's probably going to be pretty bad given what we said about the Packers, who are the clear class of that division. So it's extremely interesting because I don't think these these things stack in a sort of monotone way. I think it really is a, you know, some of these players have different utility to different teams. That is that is a really good point that, like, it, it, it definitely depends on, uh, people forget, like, the coaching staff thing, right? Like, that, and MGM, like, that really impacts these decisions. Like, the Panthers trading up to take uh, Malik Willis might not make a ton of sense because he might be horrible. He might just not be ready as a rookie and, and get there eventually. I mean, we saw this play out uh, kind of in, in a weird way with the Chicago Bears where, that regime, I, I can't, I can't really make sense of what happened there, but I, I think maybe they thought that Justin Fields was going to come in and be that floor raiser right away. And then maybe they got a look at him and they're like, maybe he's not that guy. So then they did the whole Andy Dalton thing. Um, and now, now it feels like this new regime is bailing on him. Like with the way they've, uh, they've spent, I, I foresee that going poorly for them. Like I think Fields is a guy where if he signs with the second team, that second team is going to be able to get something out of him that the, that the bears haven't. Um, I didn't, wasn't even planning on talking about that. Let's, but let's talk about that. I mean, what, what are the Chicago bears doing with Justin Fields on his rookie deal right now? Like this, like adding Byron Pringle as your marquee free agent signing does not feel particularly strong. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about Ryan Holt. Like, you know, there were reports that he was offered the Vikings job and there, you know, there was this sort of like, uh, mandate from ownership that he would would have to keep Kirk Cousins and you know you, you're sort of seeing how that has played out where they're not really allowing themselves to go through a rebuild in Minnesota and you know the cap situation has been pushed forward and made more you know more I, I in my opinion I, I think their future is a lot less bright because uh, of that decision not to rebuild right now uh, in a situation where you could have gotten resources for your quarterback um the bears are sort of like doing the exact opposite. They're saying, look, the previous regime uh, drafted Justin Fields. Uh, if Justin Fields is a, like, 
if Justin Fields is, and this is the part I guess I disagree with. If Justin Fields is amazing, he should be able to overcome whatever we give him. Um, and, and we're going to do our best to get out from under this horrific cap situation we're in. Right. So I think that they're trying to, they're, they're basically saying, look, we're going to, we're going to put ourselves in a really good position in future years um, by being frugal now. And if Justin Fields can overcome it, great. We have a great quarterback. If he can't find, it's really cheap to go back in uh, and, and, and take a quarterback high again. And I think that that's kind of been their approach. Um, I actually like it in every way, except for like, I would have trimmed the defense down to nothing and at least use those resources to give fields uh, some, some weapons. And, and the problem is if you use our mock draft simulator on PFF.com, like the bears don't have a first round pick where it lands in round two for them. Like, I don't really see a lot of help for fields there. It's sort of in this dead zone of like all the great wide receivers in the draft have been taken. And anybody that you would take sort of at that pick is an overdraft. So it's tough. I, I don't, I don't blame polls for the situation he was put in. And there's only slight modifications to what that, what I would do to what he's done. Um, but it, it's not great there. No, no, it's not, which is a bummer for me. Cause I love Justin Fields. I, I was, I, you know, felt extremely bullish about him. I, I really thought that he was going to be great. Um, he looked what weirdly enough, he like looked fantastic in the preseason. And then just, I mean, he just like, let's just be honest. He made a ton of mistakes as a rookie, right? I mean, he was pretty loose with the ball, took a ton of sacks and, and rookie quarterbacks often do play bad, right? Like if you want to be bullish on a guy who played poorly as a rookie, uh, Josh Allen played, you know, horribly as a rookie. And then they, they started to add pass catchers and they, they, you know, changed how they were doing things on offense. They run the most empty stuff in the NFL. So I, I'm not, I'm not leaving him for dead, but I do feel uh, much, like more bearish on, on his range of outcomes than I did a year ago. Um, Trey Lance, do we like, uh, what, what happens here? I mean, the, the, teams that can absorb Jimmy Garoppolo on, on this deal and then pay him the money that he wants on his next deal. Uh, it, it seems much lower. It, it's just such a weird situation because it feels like Shanahan maybe never really wanted Trey Lance to begin with and kind of got bullied into it. Cause he, it, cause there was that, there was that Schefter report that he really wanted Mac Jones. And then like everyone said, it would be a horrible idea to trade up for Mac Jones. Like, just a very bizarre. And then they make the NFC conference championship with this quarterback. They don't even want after trading up for a quarterback that maybe they also didn't want at the number three pick. Yeah, that, that one's bizarre because, you know, the issue with Lance was also the fact that he barely played when he was at North Dakota state, like he played one year was really good. Didn't really play in 2020 because of the pandemic. And then didn't really play last year. Like at some point the guy's got to get on the field or, there's also developmental issues there as well. And like, it wasn't that like Garoppolo was that good last year. I think Garoppolo's biggest strength is he throws what's called. He reads what's on the teleprompter. Yep. Um, and that's why he has a lot of turnover worthy plays because he doesn't have the discernment necessarily that maybe a quarterback more concerned with his interception totals would have. Um, but, but that it's an effective offense. That's why they get eight yards of pass attempt with him. Um, you know, land, like, I, I would be extremely surprised if Lance couldn't have produced what, what Jimmy did last year. Like I, it would have shocked me. Like if he couldn't, you made a humongous blunder taking him at three with that trade. 
hundred percent. Um, and, and that it felt that way. I mean, like, you don't you don't have to look any further than the fantasy football markets where Lance was going as a top 12 quarterback in fantasy football, despite Shanahan not really wanting to commit to him. Cause everyone just sort of thought that same thing. Like it would be foolhardy with this quarterback that you are paying all this money to who's 30, who's like kind of disgruntled. Um, you know, okay, Lance is the, you know, my, my favorite football analogy is like the, the family guy thing. Like it could be anything, even a boat. Mm -hmm. And like, that's Trey Lance. Like he could be anything, even a boat. And, and it just, it does feel weird that they didn't go in that direction, especially because that division is so difficult. I mean, we saw all those teams just beat up on each other. I guess now Seattle is not any good, but we were still thinking Seattle would be good. Like it's such a dog fight to win that division. I, you, you would want, I think in that division specifically, you would want a ceiling raiser and not a floor raiser. And they went with the floor raiser instead. Like I, I, I weirdly enough, having only seen what like 80 snaps of Lance as a professional, I feel more bullish on him than I do on Zach Wilson than I do on Justin Fields, honestly, even more than Trevor Lawrence though. It does sound like all these reports we're getting is that Lawrence was basically, uh, you know, like the, the 14 year old learning how to drive and his, his stepdad just tossed him the keys and said, go, you know, go figure it out. And, and, you know, obviously he had trouble figuring out what that's a weird situation. Uh, the, what's the, what's the, the data informed perspective on Trevor Lawrence at this time? Yeah. I, I don't know how much of it. You, well, the hard part with, with Lawrence was the evaluation process was really difficult. I think we as an analytics community leaned on the scouting community more than maybe we should because who all said he was great. Yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence was fantastic as a true freshman in 2018. And then 2019 and 2020, like he was fine. He also played in kind of a weak ACC, but he didn't get better, right? Like his, his, he didn't have like the career arc that like Patrick Mahomes had at Texas, at Texas Tech. He didn't That's have the a good career point. arc yeah. that like Kenny Pickett had or something like, like you, you didn't see the rise. Uh, it, it, he kind of was the same guy for all three years. Um, which, you know, that's what Justin Herbert was too. So you never know. Um, now, you know, I mean, they're probably the best bet to win the AFC South just because they have a competent coach. Um, the number, you know, I, I think the number on Indianapolis is maybe a little too, you're not getting a good payout there. I think the Titans at some point are going to fall apart and no one's betting Houston. So, um, but, you know, that team's got to make some good choices starting at pick number one, obviously. Um, but, you know, you can see it bubbling up, right? You can see it. Okay. You know, you have all these players on rookie deals, uh, you know, basically in the offensive backfield and, and wide receiver, you have, you know, some decent talent on defense with, with Josh Allen and, and, and guys like that. You have a coach who has a clue, you would play in a terrible division. Now the hard part is that you play in a tough conference. So, you know, winning that division might be something like nine and eight or something, but like, there's a path for that team. Um, I, I, you know, I think we sometimes, and this is true about the giants too. I think we sometimes underestimate at times like this, how much a bad, even going from a terrible coach to a purely average coach, average will coach. help a team like this. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a, been another big analytics thing that I've, that I've learned in general is like coaches really do impact on field performance so much, like, because, you know, at the end of the day, talent levels between NFL rosters, uh, especially now, right? The NFL has been wanting this parity for so long. The, the talent levels between rosters are, are the, the gaps are very rarely that large. I mean, obviously you'll have outliers in, in, you know, specific spots or whatever, but 
like a just a like a truly bad head coach and it does seem like the urban meyer brian schottenheimer duo was like maybe the worst thing we've seen in the nfl in years and like you know hugh jackson level bad or whatever and so i'm definitely i'm definitely not burying lawrence on on that yet but if he is so they give Christian Kirk all that money, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, you know, they, 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 they are, and probably, I mean, they'll probably take some pass catcher. He's going to get ETN back this year who didn't play last year. We played with in college. Like if he is still doing the, you know, taking four sacks a game and, and some of these turnovers, like then, then I will have to reevaluate. But I do think the, you know, the, the emperor has no clothes things with Trevor Lawrence is really interesting because the, you know, the, the film market was just like, he's the best ever. Like this guy is it's, he is, he is, you know, the sunshine, the sunshine signs on Trevor Lawrence and like, and, and, and those same people are the same people saying we're not worried about him at all. Like, like they're the people sort of excusing this rookie year performance, which is sort of interesting to me. Yeah. It, to me, like, and, and I, I I'm fascinated by who gets a pass in the NFL from some people. Like I, it, it but and I think that if you're Malik, you know, Malik Willis ain't going to be getting any passes. I tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, it, it, here's the thing. I think to the degree that, and, and they don't like the public doesn't shape betting markets that much. Right. But the, if at all, in most games, but the place I think to get an edge is, is to exploit those, the, the, you know, the, the misconceptions we have about players in the NFL. And I think the biggest, the two biggest ones is like, you know, who gets a pass at quarterback versus who gets roasted all the time. And, and also, you know, again, like I said, like, I think we, we, we really underestimate how much of an edge a quarterback on a rookie deal is. Right. And like, I think that's why a lot of, you know, the new England Patriots snuck up on a lot of folks last year for a while. Um, and, and that, and that was, and they were just a covering machine for most of the season. Um, that, that is something where, you know, you, you take, you know, you, you take some of these guys, you know, and I think Lawrence possibly could be this guy. Um, you take some of these guys and you, you know, the, the Jaguars made a bunch of bad free agent signings in my opinion, but I, if Lawrence is a, it goes God mode, like it doesn't, like none it of those dollars matter. matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, 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 the payoff at the quarterback position wipes away all those mistakes. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that was uh, a great discussion. I really appreciate your time. And uh, let's uh, let's send people over to the, the mock draft simulator on PFF. Let, let us know what's coming down the R&D pipeline over there. Yep. So we have the, the mock draft simulator at PFF. Uh, you can trade players now on the mock draft sim. Uh, we're constantly working to improve that because I think all reasonable trades make sense on there. But there's obviously some bull hacks that people can do. But that you can go ahead and get lost in that. Uh, you know, over the next month, we have, you know, mock drafts, we have, you know, uh, player profiles, things like that. I'll probably write some uh, college to pro projections on some players now that we have some, you know, uh, combine data and things like that. Um, and then obviously my podcast, the PFF forecast comes out Sunday night and, and Wednesday night. So give that a, a once you're done with 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 this podcast, go ahead and give that one a listen. All right, everyone follow uh, at PFF underscore Eric, check out the mock draft simulator, listen to uh, listen to the show. And of course, we will uh, we'll be back next week. BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 